And for more, we're joined on the line now by Nadir Token, analyst at 274 Investment Managers. Nadir, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. So, Nadir, uh, let's talk about Amplat's earnings. Yeah, you know, Sakina, this is obviously a company which has been uh, plagued recently by low commodity prices, low platinum prices, uh, strife in the mining industry, and just general global volatility uh, weighing on businesses which have uh, uh, high capex costs and uh, high sunk costs in terms of uh, poor cash flow and, uh, you know, weak sentiments towards South African mining businesses. But, uh, you know, we saw a positive set of results being uh, announced yesterday, and we saw this, the stock skyrocketing up more than 10 percent in the day and in fact at one point up in excess of 15 percent you know before it trimmed some of those gains so I mean the biggest drivers of that were really that uh, Amplat announces an ongoing uh, success in terms of their restructuring plan Uh, so we see the cash cost of uh, of, uh, uh, producing or pulling metal uh, platinum out of the ground uh, continuing to reduce reducing by 1.3 percent now to just marginally over 18,000 rand an ounce Um, you know we see them talking about ongoing cuts in in, in, in future investment uh, uh, in future invest, in, investment in new mines, um, you know, and that's obviously likely to be cash flow positive. And we see them talking about their ongoing restructuring plan. We know that uh, they've sold off um, all their their, their Rustenburg high labour intensive mines over to Sibanye, and you know they now uh, they now only have uh, one mine one mining operation which is not positive at the current platinum price, and that's Pandora. So the bottom line is that after the massive write-down or, um, you know, impairment of 14 billion rand, which they suffered uh, during the financial year of 2015 due to low commodity prices, um, you know, they're now poised to deliver good return on assets, um, you know, if the platinum price can behave itself, and that is obviously the big caveat, and the risk that investors are taking uh, when investing in the sector, you know, it's obviously very dependent on the platinum price, and that's why... um, you know, we saw partly the stock reacting so positively along with all the other platinum miners yesterday is that uh, the metal was up in excess of 2% and now finds itself uh, somewhat uh, entrenched above the $900 an ounce mark, you know. So I think the bottom line is that if, if platinum prices can stay at these levels um, and plats can start generating a little bit of cash, it can start paying down its debt, which it has already done. It's reduced its significant debt burden of above 16 billion rand um, to about 12 billion rand in the last financial year. And if they can uh, continue to be cash flow positive, continue to trim their portfolio and cut back on investments, um, you know, it's a business that can be uh, somewhat cash flow positive, and that will be positive for, for the quality of their balance sheets, will improve the strength of their balance sheets. And, you know, if platinum prices can continue to sort of trend upwards or behave themselves, um, you know, in time they could be producing enough cash to once again be paying a dividend. But these are obviously all very leveraged to the platinum price, Sakina. And the bottom line is that the platinum price is highly leveraged to the global state of the economy and, uh, you know, what China is doing and uh, sort of what the European car manufacturers are doing. So, you know, the, the platinum producers are going to be, uh, you know, holding their breath that uh, the ECB can get growth in Europe going once again because that's obviously a key mark, a market for platinum exports. And uh, we'll have to wait and see what tricks uh, Mario Draghi has in his, up his sleeve to get uh, growth in the Eurozone going again. So at the end of the day, it's a leverage call on, you know, what you believe the platinum price is going to do. And every time... 
sentiments, negative, uh, you know, industrial metals and metals used in industry and commodities used in industry take a bit of a battering. So, uh, you know, there's much that's outside the control of these companies, but certainly starting to look a little bit better than they were, um, you know, towards, uh, to, throughout 2015. Nadia, talk to us briefly about India's economic growth numbers. Yeah, you know, Sakina, I mean, so there's a couple of issues here. The first of all, we saw uh, growth for the first quarter, uh, for the fourth quarter, rather, should I say, uh, coming in at 7.3% uh, for the Indian economy, and that's way ahead of where the Chinese economy is growing. Obviously, the base effects, um, you know, the Chinese economy is much, much larger, so in absolute terms, the Chinese economy is still growing by a higher dollar volume. Uh, but, you know, that, that a, lot of, a lot of analysts are, are, are punting India as one of the key players in the the global economy for the future, um, you know, given that their population size, like China, is over a billion people, um, you know, and they're, and, and they're on the economic up and up despite other emerging markets coming under severe strain. So, you know, if you look at Raj, Russia contracted last year, Brazil contracted last year, South Africa grew at under 2% last year, um, you know, the, most of the developed markets grew at under 2% last year, and the India powered ahead, um, even ahead of China at, seven, at, at, at around 7.3% economic growth for last year. So, you know, I think the bottom line here is that, uh, you know, um, Prime Minister Modi came into power with a, a lot of sweeping reforms. Uh, you know, he's trying to industrialize India's economy again. Um, you know, and we see them have a lot, having a lot of, uh, you know, campaigns such as Made in India, which they, which they uh, are hosting in Mumbai this week to try and get uh, manufacturing going again and uh, to try and industrialize that economy because they've got to create a million jobs a month. That's the number of people that enter the job market each month. So, you know, economic growth is vital to that economy. But again, you know, Sakina, like China, there's a lot of skepticism about the numbers because, uh, you know, the, the anecdotal evidence or the numbers on the ground don't really stack up to 7.3% economic growth. I mean, we see uh, business confidence and business sentiment uh, remaining fairly poor like it is in China, the equivalent of a PMI indication of business confidence number. Um, and we see Exports and import volumes falling quite drastically. You know, it's imports falling about 16% and exports falling about 17%. So, you know, that, that, that's touted due to the reduced cost of oil imports, but even manufactured uh, product exports are down 8%. So the trade numbers don't stack up to the growth number, although India has been a major beneficiary of uh, lower oil prices because they are a large oil con- uh, importer and oil consumer. So, you know, the oil price coming off 16%, uh, 60%, should I say, over the last year has had a massive positive effect on on, on the Indian economy. But, uh, you know, one does, uh, the analysts are questioning the numbers like they do with Chinese economic growth.